0: Hey Queeros, Cami here. Today's episode is a re-release of an episode with Leo Shang. You might know Leo from the regionally popular television show, The L Word, Generation Q. JK, JK, obviously that show is a hero and so is Leo. I've been feeling wrong, but I'm stolen on, darling. I know, I know, I know it's careless. Well, I always have guests introduce themselves. Would you introduce yourself?
1: Sure, um, my name is leo sheng i uh, am an actor and uh, engage in activism um and I use he him pronouns for anyone who might not know leo that is even just
0: you saying um that you're an actor and engage in activism i feel i feel like that is such a like a stark shift from a couple of years ago. I don't know exactly how old you are, so maybe like i don't know where you fall on this um uh continuum but like let's say okay the you know 2015 like uh during um the justified unrest in ferguson you know it felt like a lot of people were um hesitant to use a phrase like activist if they were an actor. Mm-hmm. So it's really interesting to hear you just lead with that. That's kind of where that just that just struck me. Yeah, like almost I people were making fun of that idea at that time.
1: Yeah. Oh my gosh. I yeah, I cause I used to, I used to say I and I guess like in my like social media I say that I'm an activist but um I feel like more of my activism like being directly involved was I was a lot more directly involved before coming out to LA and being an actor. And so I guess I'm shifting my language to saying I engage in activism because I want to reserve that title for folks who are doing so much more direct work. And I think like activism is very much a spectrum, but I do think that there is a lot to be said for those who are literally on the ground and organizing and and um, and bringing people together and, and and putting things together.
0: Well, again, even like... <laughs> That's the opposite response. You know do you know what I'm saying? This is a beautiful <laughs> evolution. You're like, I don't use the, I don't claim the word activist because there are other people who are actually activists who are doing the work. That feels like a yeah, this is um it just is it's interesting to hear you talk about it. And when you said before you came out to LA, you were more directly involved in activism, where I don't even know where where are you from? My friend.
1: I am from the Midwest. I am from Michigan, which to, you know, some people might call it the state that God forgot. Um, but it's I'm from <laughs> right outside of Ann Arbor. It's called Ypsilanti. And some folks might know it, some folks don't, and that's okay. We're not, like, really known for anything other than this incredibly phallic water tower in the, in the middle <laughs> of our town. Um, like, if you Google it, it's, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But um, And I came out at a really young age. Um, I came out at 12 as trans and... Um, I guess at that time I was considered really young. I mean, we're seeing so many kids realizing who they are at so much at such like pivotal moments in their like development at like four and five and two and um, sure. And when I came out, I was very privileged to have access to this group in uh, Ann Arbor at a teen center, um, and it was for queer youth and it was for support but also change. And so we did a lot of. Um, we had a lot of meetings and a lot of, uh, I guess I would say performances because we had like a, a, like a adjacent group called Gay Rilla. And it was, um, a little play or, or, or script based off of data, data that our group had, um, uh, collected from a survey, um, that they designed that these teens, that teens before me had designed and, and, um, um, dispensed to different schools across, um, uh, our Ann Arbor and across Southeast Michigan. And so, with that, we would perform it in schools, and then we would um, have conversations with other students about um, uh, climate for marginalized students. Um, we would meet with administrators, we would meet with um, principals and counselors, um, and then my work kind of shifted to another teen group that focused on intersectional identities. So, understanding how um, obviously we understand that intersectionality was a coin term by a term coined by Kimberlé Crenshaw <coughs> to talk about the margins of uh, race. Specifically, for Black women in law um, and so, and and society. Um, but we, what we did as teens, we we went to schools and we we talked with other students about you know the many identities that they held um, and 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 how their schools protected them or didn't. Um, and uh, so, for me, that's what my activism really surrounded uh, was was surrounded in or rooted in is identities and. Um, climate for schools and it carried into my undergrad, but that's, that's the focus of it.
0: Well, I want to pause for a second here and like ask 9 million questions, breaking this down further. So Mm -hmm. I've played, I've played in Ann Arbor a bunch. I think the last time I was there, I was just looking up like, what was the place the last time I was there was performing at the blind pig. I don't know if you know that. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. This is like a rock club, but I've also done, um, I've done, there's like a club there. I've done a bunch of stuff there. And, um, the last time I was there, I also was, when I was on tour, I was inviting like local, what is the name of this organization that you were working so with? So
1: it's called The Neutral Zone. Um,
0: anyway. Yes, actually, like, you- literally. So I would the last time I was on tour, um, which would have been like, the last time I did a really big tour, I think would have been in like twenty fall of 2019 or something. But I had one or two... Sometimes even three organizations in every city, and I ask them to come and talk to the audience at my show directly about the work that they did there. Because mm-hmm. so often when I perform in a city, people like wait after a show; they'll line up, they thank me, "Oh my god, thank you for coming here." And it's like, first of all, it's 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 really beautiful, but it's also like a lot to take in because mm-hmm. I'm just like popping in for the night to tell jokes, and I'm gl- I'm really glad to be there. But it, you know, it struck me. And has struck me because before that, I think the time, I think the tour before that, I was working more with folks who were um, like a similar thing, but people, it was people involved in racial justice. And then this last time it was people involved in providing services. I just, I feel like there are people in every community who do the on the ground work. Mm-hmm. And I felt like if my hour of standup feels amazing to you. hmm. I hope you also know that there are people who live in your own community who you could go to for routine services and for community and that it's not just like whenever I happen to come through, but like mm-hmm. it's already here and I'm the guest.
1: Right.
0: And um, anyway, that's exactly who the neutral zone came and, and then like awesome. presented. That's so-
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's great. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. They, they do a lot of great work for not just queer youth, but for, youth in general, youth who, um, you know, they do free tutoring and they have after school. I mean, I'm sure their programs have has have drastically expanded since I was there. I stopped going when I graduated in high school in 2014. Um, so I'm 24. Um, and And I'm sure, I have no doubt that their programs and their services have expanded greatly since then.
0: And, you know, I know you were also saying that, you know, 12... 12- you said it was early and then you're like, but I'm not even, maybe that isn't early or maybe that isn't young. I still think that sort of nationally, when we talk about where we are with this conversation, and I don't mean people's real life experience. I mean, sort of the like anecdotal where our conversation is as a country. It does seem to be that we're still thinking about, um, experience of the trans person as being like there was a youth that was lived um, under one identity and then an Mm -hmm. adulthood that's lived in a different identity so I, I know that even though we're like in the queer community we might be or sometimes it's like there'll be some story in time or whatever it is like we still are we're talking about these like kids in kindergarten who are identifying mm-hmm. what's going on for them. But I also think there is this sort of predominant story. And, and this is the reason I'm going to talk about this is because I've been seeing stuff that you've been talking about, about um J.K. Rowling. And like, I think <clears throat> that person, um mm-hmm. well, first of all, there's, <laughs> there's the <laughs> massive, <did> <laughs> there's the massive confusion that comes from like, an opinion about something, first of all, a mm-hmm. fucking opinion, like, what makes Ooh, you the... the print, quite the, opinion. the But also just, like, the idea that you are, like, I get to have an opinion in this space. Like, just to right. take a moment to be, like, holy shit. But then an opinion <laughs> that is evolved from, like, threading together various Googles and, like, speaking simultaneously about, like, this is happening too young, and also like, and adulthood. And it's like she combined every, mm-hmm. literally, mm-hmm. it's just a string of fears. She like made a necklace out of fears. And then, and then Draco Malfoy brought it into the school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I wanted yeah. to ask you if you, you know, wanted to talk about, I've just been seeing you speak about that mm-hmm. on the internet. Yeah.
1: So I can mean, w- I, what can't I say about it? Honestly, I think, I think what's, like you said, it's, it's somebody who, you know, she is, she's using her use of having trans friends or trans people in her life to like legitimize her opinions and her, her fears that may be coming from her lived experiences. Um, and like, she is kind of, I mean, the best way I can describe it is the people who have been saying it's gaslighting. It's using this. This means of saying, I've had this experience with this these, these this group of people, these group of people have been saying this to me, therefore I feel this. And it's like you have these lived experiences and they may be valid to you and your lived experiences are just that they're yours. But you you using them to not only delegitimize, but actively like use rhetoric that puts trans people, trans women in harm. Is for me like, and for so many other people who have been pointing this out too. She's like, she's definitely weaponizing her privilege. She's weaponizing her role as a white woman with this privilege, um, cis woman, and to 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 the, to think that there are so many people who don't understand how it's causing harm or who are like, she's just saying these things. She's not putting anyone in danger, but she has fourteen million just Twitter followers. How many billions of people have seen her movies based off of her book, have read her books? How many billions of people and young people? And then, you know, someday they may Google who she like she is, because, you know, as a kid, I wasn't like, I didn't know anything about the authors I was reading. Like, I was just reading books. They're going to they're gonna Google who she is. They're going to see what she says and be like, well, I loved her books. Maybe she has a point, you know, I, which I hope doesn't happen. But, I mean, I'm just imagining all these different scenarios in which her words have power mm-hmm. outside of her books and i think too like the conversation she's trying to have and the way she's having it just completely bulldozes any and all nuance to these conversations some of them don't merit nuance to me some of them like trans women are women there there's no nuance to that <laughs> there's no yes. room for discussion there the, the her her claims and you know i the last blog post she posted, I, I follow so many trans people who are like, I read it so you don't have to. But I was like, that makes me really want to know what she said. Mm-hmm. Because if it's that bad, like, I, 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 I think it really is like I subjected myself to that in a way that I do regret. But I also, like, had I not read it for me, I wouldn't have had the same opinions I have in the same way. I, haven't, I wouldn't have formed them in the same way. So, like, her points about, you know, trans people coming out young and, like, this, this rhetoric of like um, young women who might be same gender attracted or same sex attracted whichever language fits that person um, you know transitioning because we are erasing butch lesbians and it's like it's all these things that she's wrapping up into this one ultimate statement of I know I am claiming to care about trans people but I care about cis people more like cis women that's what I take away from her comments and and there's There's just so much in there, again, like this idea, going back to like transitioning young, like, I don't regret transitioning when I did. I mean, I think detransitioning is a very real and very like valid experience that so many people have that should not be used, though, to say why some people like detransition, like some people who transition later in life detransition, like it's not relegated to age. Um, for me, like, there are things that I wish had been talked about differently as I was transitioning younger, but I don't regret my transitioning. And so, again, I could go on and on and on about it, but but it's just, it is very dangerous what she's saying and how she's saying it. And, you know, folks have pointed out, especially a lot of queer and trans Black folks have pointed out, her timing is not accidental. Her timing right. for these comments, like, in the midst of a global uprising, Mm-hmm. against police brutality, against anti-Black racism in so many societies, especially in the U.S., is not accidental.
0: Um, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I think also... Well, so I also read it. You know, I read it because um, I am, like, newly a big fan of the work. I, I, I like, watched the movies with my little sister, but... Um, my girlfriend is this massive fan of Harry Potter, and so like when we got together, I started listening to all the books, the um, the audio books, um, because often when I'm with someone and they have a passion, I want to know more about it so that I can mm-hmm. have educated conversations with them, you know. And um, I think that I'll I'm I actually am very glad that I recently dove into it because it gives me, I think, like, a a very formed perspective on this. Mm. And, um, you know, the first thing I'll say is, like, just in reading her statement, I don't even, she kind of just, I'm trying to remember, I think she says she has, like, one trans woman she knows. So I don't even think she says she has friends. And also, I'm pretty sure this person isn't going to be her friend after reading this. At least, like, please have the self-care to not be friends with this person if that's what's going on. But that's just, you know... Neither, not my, not my uh, place to tell somebody how to do it, but um, <laughs> I think that another thing that comes up for me in thinking about this is like, she's not a member of our community and there are some cis lesbians who are having an experience of feeling erased. That is part of our community. And what I will say is like for those folks, I hope that they are taking that feeling to a therapist, that they are taking that feeling to a trusted friend who is also a cis person. The feelings that we have, the feelings of, wait, I feel like my trauma doesn't have space in our community anymore. Like those can be valid. We're allowed to have feelings. Like that's just a true thing about Mm -hmm. humans. Sometimes we have feelings that are fucking stupid, that don't help anybody, that are shitty. And they're just a feeling that we have. And I think that's something that I see happening that that is, is a cisgender person taking that feeling and thinking that it is a transgender person's need to solve that. And that also like legislation should be built off of my feelings. That's the same thing that we see with white supremacy. You know, when, when a system is mm-hmm. built so that somebody is marginalized and harmed, the person who benefits from that system, They get to have feelings when that system comes down. They don't get to say, and my feelings are more important than you Mm -hmm. being murdered. You know, like, it's just, Mm -hmm. that that's just another thing. And I just, I don't see people talk about this this way. I don't think, like, you get on YouTube. I don't think you fucking tweet about it. I don't think you, like, build a career on it or a website. You know, I think you, like... Go talk to your therapist about how, for some reason, somebody else's behavior or existence is making you feel hurt. Like, okay, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a mm-hmm. feeling. And mm-hmm. when I think if you're a person with privilege, um, we often get to position our feelings as so important that, like, that, that systems should be based to protect them. Mhm.
1: It's nuts. Yeah, yeah, and I think like there was just so much in her blog post that that it, it it's really hard to digest. I think the point she's making, how she's making it, you know, she's sharing very personal stories of being a survivor of like intimate partner violence, and like that is incredibly valid. And there are so many survivors who have also come forward saying they're okay with trans women in their spaces. Like, of course, huge, that's what I'm saying. I, mean, I can't it's, speak to it's, it's so that. connected. Yeah, exactly, yes. it is. It is, and and it's. I think what's interesting yeah. is like this degree of like trans, even if they don't, I consider themselves radical feminists. This this degree of trans exclusionary ism is um, <laughs> is 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 global, but it's also. It's global in the sense that it's also tied to race so tightly so it's in, so interconnected to race and i think the degree to which that we're seeing it on like portrayed online like when i was auditioning for this last year i was getting in fights online because of this new wave of like gender free um f- identified folks which kind of come out of like gender critical which come from turf or like trans exclusionary rhetoric and so I was like, oh, my God, I'm not going to get cast because I'm getting in so many fights with these folks. Um, mm. But it's it's so it's so interesting to see how much of it's coming from, like, the UK. Mm. And, like, it's not relegated to the UK, but when it's spread online, obviously, it spreads across ge- geographical location. And it it's scary to watch it seep through the different pockets. Um, and it's not like it's necessarily starting anything new. It's kind of just giving validation for the folks who may be feeling the same thing to share the same thing. Yeah. Um, So I think that's what we're also seeing is a a rise in folks who feel emboldened to, again, share their lived experiences, but also like use those to inform why trans people should be not allowed, trans women, this is is specifically also trans women targeted. I think like, I think some of the folks continue to use language like i care about trans people but it's really i mean the arguments they're making are about trans women that's um, true the stuff that's said about trans men is just as fucked up but but doesn't doesn't result in like a desire for legislation to keep us out of spaces um and that's not to say we're not at risk we're not like a vulnerable population but what we're seeing is like trans women and like you know trans men by these by the same critics are being called more like gender traitors which i can handle i'd rather that than you know, the the vitriol that's being targeted at trans women.
0: Right. Well, I mean, uh, you know, and I mean, (laughs) it is like 1056 on a Friday, but of course we can also talk about (laughs) how like that is rooted in misogyny because the Mm -hmm. idea that somebody would give up male privilege to become a woman is, um, and I don't mean to say become, become a woman, but like that is the narrative. Like that, to live that openly is, um, as a
1: woman yeah.
0: as the person that they are, yes, yes, thank you for the better language um mm-hmm. is uh <laughs> like that's what people. that's that's what is upsetting there t- in culture, and I don't want to like derail the, the conversation <laughs> fully on this, but I just I think that you're exactly mm-hmm. right to point out that like it's com- specifically targeted as trans women, and then I also think you're sp- you're right to um. I guess that's why I was talking about the like seeking, seeking therapy, seeking therapy, seeking support for your own feelings, because Mm -hmm. she's making, you know, this plus this equals this. And um, (laughs) like, if this wasn't based on bigotry, she could be saying things like, I don't want to cisgender men to be able to come into coffee shops because I had an experience in my life. So there's definitely personal experience informing for, in bigotry, and like that is what that is the genius move of somebody with privilege is to use their personal experience to back up big, bigotry. You know, it's what the president of the U.S. does all the time. Who? Uh, he's very good at this. Sometimes I see people talk about him like he's um, an idiot, and I'm like, no, no, he's he's very good at this this uh
1: yeah um very calculated moves
0: calculated moves yes um you know though I guess just the final thing that I wanted to mention is that I also think it's particularly cruel for somebody who deals in spirituality um to operate from a place that is trans exclusionary because you know for me as a queer person like I know that many Um, expressions of faith are not available to me. And Mm. I also know that that is true for trans folks and to peddle specifically in narratives of, you know, in spiritual narratives and then inject this in there. I mean, that to me is like, um, it's just it's, it's cruelty it's like specific cruelty
1: yeah because so many people feel I mean I think you made a really good point about coming to the Harry Potter universe as like an adult with a more kind of rounded like you you're it didn't necessarily form your your childhood the way and like it was didn't have that same relationship so like you come from it from a less biased point of view I think um for me it formed a lot of my childhood and so it does it's it, it's it hurts to see like the creator of this world that as a 10 year old, I wasn't, I mean, to be fair, there are a lot of racist undertones and overtones and and the way we, th- if we like talk about how it like mirrors kind of colonialism and colonization, like that is real. I wasn't realizing yes. that as a 10 year old. So like for me as a 10 yes. year old, I'm like, my 10 year old self is like, this author hates me. My adult self is like, this author has not, hasn't been here for a lot of people in my community for a long time. And yes. it's it's very unfortunate all around. <laughs>
0: Okay, so let's talk about you. <laughs> and actually, this is talking about you. All of this is talking about you. Um, I don't know. I just have been watching a lot of the stuff that you've been saying, and I've, I felt like maybe it would be nice to have a space to say it that is uh, your voice as opposed to your written hmm. voice. Um, when did you move to L.A.?
1: Um, it'll be a year, July 1st.
0: Oh, Wow. Yeah. So, were you were you auditioning for your role on Generation Q Long Distance?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yes and no. I I, um, I I was finishing finals for my first year of grad school when I was auditioning, and I sent in. Um, self-tapes and um did a callback through self-tape and then may 21st it was like right after my birthday last year may 20 something i flew out to do an in-person audition and like director and producer and writer meet and i did a chemistry read with ari um and then and then like the rest of it was remote until i moved out in july
0: what were you in grad school
1: for I was studying social work. I was getting my master's in social work at University of Michigan.
0: I went Mm -hmm. to um, social work grad school and dropped out at the University of Chicago.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Nice. Um, What kind of social work were you studying? Well, so
0: I, um, at the time I was placed with, uh, I had a, Field placement that was with kids who, um, like fell out of the foster care system, kids who were, um, routinely placed in fa- foster care and then had had a lot of trauma in their early years and so were mm-hmm. violent, um, or were sexual offenders, but they were also like five years old. And mm-hmm. I, for that, had worked in, A couple different kinds of special education. So I'd worked with kids who um, had, you know, violent or behavioral stuff going on, or I had kids who had um, disabilities. So like kids who spoke with Mm. a computer or, um, (coughs) and were, uh, and use like system devices, like wheelchairs, things like that. And so I was thinking I was going to be a school counselor that worked with some sort of, you know, kid who wasn't, who was falling out of Mm -hmm. um, supportive circumstances for, for a bunch of different reasons. Um, Mm -hmm. And I really liked that last placement that was with young kids with that were on like a behavioral track. Um, what were you studying?
1: Or what were you well, that's really clo- That's really close to what my field placement was. I So I originally was accepted to the School Social Works program 2017 school year, 2017, 2018. Um, and I got my first role, film role. And so I, I deferred for that year and, and filmed in six weeks in New York and then came back and continued working on campus where I had been before. Um, And I didn't start my, um, and so I was going to go for community-based, or community organizing. Um, University of Michigan has this program called CBI, which is Community-Based Initiative, where it's pretty small, like 20 people, and um, you get a grant and you work in community organizations and and community building efforts in Detroit. Um, And then when I deferred and I came back, I decided to switch my track to IP, which is the interpersonal practice, so like counseling, licensed counseling. Um, Because I really was very, I I really wanted to uh, expand the understanding and like um, the awareness of how community building and mental health resources are so tightly interlinked, um, and how community organizing and activism and and community engagement is so tiring, Um, and you know we talk about social work burnout and like what does that look like, and so I I wanted I, I just really wanted to combine activism with mental health services, Um, and specifically for queer and trans people of color. um, I wanted to provide those services. Um, But I also, my first year, on the chance that I also wanted to have a school counseling or school uh, school counselor certificate, I was placed in um, an organization called the Student Advocacy Center, and it was to provide support and advocacy for students who were facing suspension or expulsion in their schools. Um, and oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes students maybe had behavioral plans or needed extra support services. And so um, that really greatly affected the, the support they received in schools. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a little bit of all of it, but really my, my, main, my main goal and hope was to work in queer communities of color and with communi- communities of color.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a big adjustment, or it has been. I mean, I feel like I'm still adjusting Um, even a lot of years later to trying to figure out, okay, this is something I'm passionate about, which is direct service work. And now I have a platform and I I like do the job that I do that I, I also really like, but it's a lot for me to square in my mind, feeling like that call is still present, but that I also have this other thing going on. How are you <laughs> dealing with that?
1: Um, Very, very, that that's, that makes a lot of sense to me. I think because, because like the, up until I moved out, I was doing some sort of direct service work throughout since I was 13. I was, if it wasn't in, in a community and collective sort of um, policy change, you know, meeting with, like I said, school administrators and, and, Counselors or, or 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 leading workshops with students to um, undergrad. My first years, I worked at our LGBTQ resource center, where I co facilitated, co created, co led workshops for student organizations and, and instructors and staff and and other university and community members. Um, to the last two years, where I was uh, working at our multicultural multicultural center and doing programming. And so, for me to like shift completely shift. The way I do things and like how I'm seen too is, is has been a massive, massive transition. Um, mm-hmm. I think one thing that stayed very, um, um, stayed the same is the fact that I've had a platform online for a very long time. Um, and the thing that's changed is just more people are looking. Um, and I think I do have more uh, opportunities to share my messages. You know, like this year, I'm being asked to do a lot of stuff for Pride. and Years past, I did maybe one or two things. And so how am I using my voice when I'm approached to do things for Pride, which are going to be national level or, or state level? And um, using the power and privilege that I have access to and have um, gained through my role um, to push forward for more um, socially conscious work and, and um, understanding.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I hear you. Yeah. I mean, that's, Mm -hmm. that's it right there. Okay. Well, now that I know a little bit more about you, I think I'm curious about, I'm curious about, you know, being this person from this background with these interests and then you know, doing sex scenes or something that feels like very, (laughs) very different. But that also is inherently political because, um, because it is, I don't have to tell you why it's inherently political. Um, (laughs) you know, what is, what is that shift? Like, I guess like using your, your, your body, your face, your, you know, your self as the political tool as opposed to, Mm -hmm the training stuff that you're talking
1: about are different ways of operating. Right, I mean, I think, you know, I think about how, like, people sometimes, maybe they sign up for trainings because their boss makes them and stuff, so they don't want to be there, but, like, I don't think many people are watching Generation Q by force. Like, I don't think, like, they're going to get in trouble (laughs) for not watching it. So there's clearly a lot of choice there. (laughs) Um, For, I mean, it... You know, very early, very early on, before I moved out, like when when we were still having remote uh, video chats, Marja, the showrunner, and I had a lot of conversations around that, specifically around sex scenes. I mean, Showtime and Elward. I mean, these are like these are just mixes for. And I, I know Eileen and nudity. has
0: like a mandate, also. Like I know she like loves having, and, and I know that Marja was running <laughs> the show, but I just like, um, I know that I know that. I know that sex needed to be in the show for it to be it's, under the umbrella of the L word.
1: <laughs> it's a very big part of it. It's a very big thing that we've all considered too. When it turns when, whenever we were to return to work, it's like physical contact is not a choice in our show, <laughs> or sure. at least it is, but like, you know, it, it's such a big part of it. Um, and so, yeah, we talked very much about what that means. Like what, what was my comfort level? Are there any things that I... Would not is there anything I would not do? Is there anything I would refuse? And because this is so new for them as well as for me, we were very. It was very much like working together to find a comfort level um, and and also tell the story that felt right and felt real. Um, I think something Marcia said was like for them it would be the first time they like a trans man would be naked and having sex and like that didn't happen in season one. But I don't know what's going to happen in season two. But just like that, that was like what that was the concept the the message um and for me like the sex piece of it was a was a was a balance it was we because so often we see trans people and they're either completely desexualized like they have no love life they have no sex they are like that's it and for maybe and i think there's something to be said for like portraying a, a range of sexual experiences for trans people and that's valid but like the the narrative we see is like trans people just don't have sex and that's not true um and then or we see them hypersexualized. we see them only in roles Um, particularly trans women of color, if they play sex workers, or we see, um, like, as a fetish. And so this was none of these things. This was about showing um, a character, a full character, um, who enjoys having sex and is trans. Um, And so for me, yeah, that is inherently political in the sense that um, I think, I mean, I think, to my knowledge, Alexandra Billings is the first and I think only first trans woman to have had like a fully frontal nude scene in a series on screen. Um, And that's huge. That is massive. And that was only a couple of years ago. So we're not so far removed from that either in terms of what kind of progress do we want to see for trans characters, trans trans characters who have sex lives or have some relationship to a sexual experience. Um, And, and the rest of it is, is so beautiful and personal. Like as an Asian trans man, there's maybe three of us in mainstream media not including me, Skyler, Chella, and Ian. You know, like those are the names that people know. Um, and so, how are we continuing to expand those narratives, those stories? Um, and and how does that tie into like aside like for if we're going to separate it from just from a sexual love infused uh, storyline, what does that look like? And then add in sex and love, and and what does that mean for a fully formed character who has? opinions and views and thoughts on all of these things.
0: I'm wondering also if you participated, you know, in hearing that, hearing how it was collaborative, if you participated, obviously I know the writer's room is also separate from the actor's participation, but just in the storyline for your character. So your character is, becomes like romantically involved with a cisgender gay dude. And that is also again, like a, a set of choices that indicates to an audience, you know, if you're, if there's, if there's two portrayals or one portrayal Mm -hmm. and then that, it just speaks to, it's elevated to like, here's what this is like. Um, And so I'm curious about that set of decisions and whether or not you were involved in that and like how that felt like it might represent your experience or or if it felt Mm -hmm. like this doesn't represent my experience, but I know it's somebody's experience.
1: Yeah, it was definitely the latter. I mean, until, until this show started, I had only ever been romantically involved with cis women, I think, other than one person and um and so like for me it it wasn't my experience but it was when i knew that so many trans men that i knew either online or like in my life had had and will have in their lives and so it's very very much a balance of how do we tell an authentic experience and also not make it seem like the billboard experience for all right trans men and i think like to answer your question i didn't have a direct involvement with that piece we talked a lot about what i was comfortable with what in terms of like just just the scenes themselves. Um and and um I like the the last bit of uh, Freddie and Micah's relationship was kind of like we kind of knew how it was gonna end, but like a lot of it was a surprise. Um like the actual scenes and the dialogue and everything. And um we I mean the biggest piece that I think i I remember having conversations about was really Micah. Um Originally, we kind of, it was, his character went back and forth between whether he was a scientist at um, JPL or a professor of social work. And it was, we weighed a lot of options and um, I felt, I was, I, there was an environment created where I felt like I could come forward and say like, um, I think that if Mike is going to be one of the few Asian characters on the show, like having him as a scientist, maybe wouldn't be the thing. You didn't want want him to do
0: math in the kitchen. He's like, just other characters constantly walk in.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Like the criminal minds board, they write it all. Yeah,
0: exactly. No, that makes um, a lot of sense. I really appreciate you sharing that. (laughs) I think that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah. And so he's an assistant, he's an assistant uh, professor of social work. And um, I think that piece of it was was very collaborative and very like give and take and a lot of conversations around that. And um, but you're right. I mean, I mean, I have seen feedback where people are like I feel like trans trans men are like this makes it seem like we only date men or like how come? But but I would say I, I think that's true. It, it 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 portrays it is a it is a big a big show that is portraying this particular experience. And I would say that when we are represented in maybe lesser. They're not as big, smaller screen productions. Typically, what I remember is seeing trans men dating women. And so, like, this is, I think, an experience of trans men identifying as queer and dating people who aren't women. And so I think it's, it's very much a balance. It's a very delicate balance.
0: Sure, yeah. I mean, you know, another thing that I feel like, maybe I've just, like, missed it. But something that I feel like we haven't seen yet um, that is very present in my community of people It is like allow me to blow your mind, (laughs) right? A trans person dating. Get ready. Get fucking ready for this. Another trans person. Holy shit! What? Holy shit! (laughs) I don't know if you've ever heard of this.
1: This is brand new concept to me. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Wow. I I feel like it's um, that's like the. That seems to me again. Maybe it just like exists, and I, I'm like not thinking of it at whatever moment this is right now. But I feel like that's the that's the experience that I haven't yet seen really explored, mm-hmm. or even like a be, because I still think that where we are in it's like how it's like how the cisgender queer experience is still on TV, like. This is the this person, and here's this person. you know it's like there, there can't be two short hairs yeah. that kiss like two short hairs can never kiss. It just feels like the same thing where like the you know, the trans person is still and it's also, I mean, this is what we see in in television all the time. It's like mm-hmm. when the show New Girl came out, I would I, you know, I was always just like, how did how do these how do these black people, Not know. I mean, I get that there's two, that's an advancement, but how do they not know other black people outside of the two that are on the show? So it just felt like, it feels like that's the, I would be excited to see that represented, which feels much more in line with like, um, the diversity of dating that I see in the community that I'm in.
1: Definitely. And I also can't think of off the top of my head, a storyline, like a mainstream storyline in which a trans person dating another trans person. I think, I think, I think so quick plug disclosure documentary is coming out next Friday on Netflix, And we do talk a lot about trans representation. And I think like we are at a point where like studios are like trans representation. Yes. But like maybe for not the reasons we would want. And so they're kind of stuck in this narrative, like, okay, Mm. this is the arc of a trans storyline. Non-acceptance, you know, um, uh, Disownment, uh, violence, a cis person coming to validate them and they're great again. Yay, they're happy. And so, yeah. like, as if like the trans character's happiness and, lo- and like sense of self and love is is contingent upon a cis person of loving them as well, which we know is bullshit. Um and at the same time though, it does, I think there is value in like telling people, cis, cis, cis people, like trans people are worthy of love. Whether or not it's from you, but they're worthy of love. Um, and I think there's, there is that nuance to it. Um, and I, I wanted to say too, like if I'm remembering correctly and if I'm not, this is going to be super embarrassing. You did a tiny stint on Nine 99 for, I did that. And I think that's a great example of what you're saying of like, in cisgender queer couples, there's always like, like for women like me, a butch and a femme. But I, what, what I loved about that was like you, like your character and, and, um, uh Stephanie's character I don't, not to say her first name like I know her but but like are very similar and like your characters had very similar aesthetic and very similar like vibe and I think unfortunately I mean I wish I would I would have liked to see more and I think that that was that's like a tiny tiny like foot in that like
0: I know I mean actually I will tell you when I and and obviously it's also I just want to acknowledge that it's Even the the principal actors on that show are now talking about that it Mm -hmm. is complicated that that show um, Mm -hmm. exists and also that it's a comedy. So, I'm just going to say that. Um, And Mm -hmm. I will say the first time I went in for a table read, I, like, basically was, like, about to cry, like, went up to Andy Samberg, who... You know, I know a little bit and was like, I can't believe you guys cast me like this is so wild. Like she wears a leather jacket and then you went with somebody who has more of a leather jacket. Like, <laughs> I can't believe it. And um, it was funny because and this is not to like it, like he was just like, oh, we thought you'd be great for it. And I think like. Um, and then I also had some conversations with with um, with Steph Beatrice about like how excited I was about this. But I I think that, um, like, to me, I literally was losing it the whole time. I couldn't believe on network television that they cast someone more butch than the butchest character on the <laughs> show. I was literally like, this is bonk- bonkers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also think that that was really, like, I got that job based on what I was, you know, finding out was um, my, like, personal circle of people that I know. So... That's another mm. thing that, you know, like him being like, yeah, we just thought you would be perfect for it. And I'm like, this is political, you know, like, so I think, <laughs> I guess that's what I'm saying is that like another <laughs> thing that hopefully will continue over time is that like, as there's more of a, mm-hmm. hopefully a changing of the guard, um that It really is, there's a limitation based on what you know and who you know, like, for people that are in positions of power. Because after a while, like, you can just get, everything can be an echo chamber of, like, I don't even, like, you know, I don't even know how to meet new people or I don't even know how to have that story. So it is, you know, in, in order for us to get a show where, a trans person falls in love with a trans person, like it might have to be that you make a shit ton of money on the done generation Q, which I hope you're making. And then you like fucking use that to, you know, in whatever 10 years, like have your own production company. I mean, we just don't know, but it, it really is sometimes a a limitation Mm of, of our own lens and our own experience.
1: Mm -hmm. And again, I think it's number one piece of it is like, it, it, it's, we're not seeing that on big budget things. I know that that's being done on small budget, like independent level, like web web series level, like, you know, shooting yes. on an iPhone level. But unfortunately, we are like big studios and big companies are still very much kind of stuck in this like idea of having to have cis people around the trans person to make them somehow more legitimate, which hopefully is, is as we speak, as people, you know, people are writing and people are like, you know, pitching through Zoom, <laughs> hopefully we'll see, we'll see that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that also what you're talking about is, you know, something I see like for any, for any queer identity is that we're still in in the zone of um, obsession with trauma. Like the obsession with our trauma is, um, and I, I am also in, I mean, I'm also pretty. I'm excited about the fact that, say, like, a shit ton of books by Black authors are now on the New York Times bestseller list. And I hope that that is an indication that from this moment we won't get 9,000 movies made by white people about how really tough this couple of months was. But, you know, we'll (sighs) see. (laughs)
1: We shall see. We Uh,
0: shall (laughs) see. (laughs) Oof. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I've been seeing conversations around that on Twitter, like particularly black folks, like dreading those movies. And I think that's, I think too, you know, that's a good point about seeing so many like books by black authors on, on the charts and, there's a really great kind of like a counterpiece to all the like anti-racist book lists that are being shared as like, A, you have to read them. And B though, like a book being written by a, like a black author is that, that frames it as being like inherently anti-racist, even if it's a novel about something that's not necessarily dealing with anti-racism as a, as its issue. Um, and so I think like, I would hope, I don't want to compare because they are very different issues. I would hope that like any sort of ideological like, approach like that would not, I mean, I think it does, but I would hope eventually it doesn't apply to like, this movie has a trans person in it. It's a movie about transphobia or like, Mm -hmm. like, I hope it's not, I hope that we're also, um, getting away from what it means to have a trans person in a role.
0: Right. I mean that, you know, that to me is always an indication of like a limitation in the, um, the writer's personal experience and lived experience of the thing, Because Mm -hmm. if you just start wanting to tell stories, um, the stories that rise to the top are usually, like, these big traumatic stories because then they can, like, get that character in Mm -hmm. and out. Like, that's how I always think about it. That's why, like, there's always... Like the lesbian characters are you know like on either sides of the room for for seasons for seasons they never approach each other they're one's going in one side of the cab, the other one's leaving the other side of the <laughs> cab, and then the, like they look at each other they're it's love at first sight then they're like both um like a brick is you know falls on them from off screen and and oh. it's because it's because if you're outside of our experience, the only thing that can be thought about is like. This desire for things to be better and then this like fleeting moment of joy, but like not the daily life stuff, which actually brings me to my next question, which is what is your daily life like since I don't mean right now, obviously. Well, I do mean right now, (laughs) pandemic things, but I just mean in having such a massive change from... 24. I'm in, you know, social mm-hmm. work school, or I'm 23 I'm in social work school. To like, I'm on this, this huge show. Um, how are you taking care of yourself, staying grounded, and feeling like a normal human being amidst that? Seems like a large change. Hmm,
1: me. Um, that's that's such a good question. Um, sorry, <clears throat> before I mean, right before COVID hit, I was. Out of work, um, you know, I am, there are things that we can do, like jobs we can take and just being mindful of that. And and so like, I was kind of just waiting and auditioning and and trying to figure out like, all right, I have this really great job that I know I'm coming back to. I know we have a season two. And in the meantime, I really want to keep working. Um, and I was, I, I, it's, I was finding it's very easy to like fixate on that. It's very easy to worry about that. Um, it's very easy to suddenly just be like, I need to find a job and not take a minute to be like, I know I have a job. I know that I will have a job in a few months. Like it, it, it's, very, I can see how that being a cycle very quickly. Um, every, any, like literally everybody who asked me this and, and you can also ask whoever <laughs> I've talked to, I always credit my roommates for, um, sense helping like as a, as a huge part of how I stay grounded none of my roommates are actors they are all um in their mid to late 30s um they're all like normal 9 to 5 citizens <laughs> and um there is a very sense of realness there that not like acting isn't real but like i come home and like they ask me how my day is and but they don't really like they're not like starstruck they're not like oh my god like f- you know, they ask just regular questions about it and it doesn't, I don't feel like um, I have to like be this like little entryway for them and like entertainment and stuff like that. I don't know if hopefully that makes sense, but um, like I I think had I moved out here and lived on my own, it would have been hard enough to live out here on my own during a quarantine would have been just a disaster. Um, So my daily life is very much like until maybe two and a half weeks ago, everybody was working from home. um, And we were just like, I'd get up and we'd have lunch in the house together. We'd have dinner. Like we make, we make house meals. We do like very, a lot of communal things. Um, And then, and then in the last couple of weeks, especially like my daily life has been just reading, um, not just tweets, but like different articles and listening and having conversations and posting as much as I can and, and balancing, um, like as a non-black person, but also like a non-white person, like a level of burnout that's might, that isn't necessarily about me and that is like continuing the work and also still trying to continue sharing those, those resources and doing uh, the work that like black folks have been asking of us. Um, and so it's, it's, it's a very overwhelming time. Um, and Ultimately, I guess to answer your question, what am what am I doing to take care of myself? Um, when I feel like I'm able to really relax for a minute, I will just watch TV or like just play Candy Crush. I don't know. <laughs> like, I still play Candy <laughs> Crush. Um, <laughs> one of my roommates is on like level two thousand, though. So that's
0: wow. I don't know anything um, about Candy Crush, but I did get out my old Game Boy, and last night I was playing Tetris. Oh my god! For hours. <laughs> Because I have, I have like a mini, um, mm-hmm. arcade game of Tetris, very small little arcade game of Tetris, but my girlfriend said that the buttons were too loud. So I said, you know what? I actually have a version of Tetris with, um, less loud buttons. So I feel you on, uh, <laughs> getting into some, some games from the past. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I hear in what you're talking about when you were talking about that feeling of, of being out of work. I mean, you know, not just not just through like acting work or, or having you know this TV show for a while, but also like touring. It's a very strange experience to have seasons where you have very long days, and then um, seasons wh- where you don't have a thing in your day that mm-hmm. feels like a traditional work thing. And I think even people outside of having jobs that function like that. Um, you know, some of the stuff I've been thinking about is my feeling of worthiness, like just being on the planet, like that. I don't, I realized a couple of years ago that I worked for like five years without ever, maybe even seven without like, I would just work during the week. And then on the weekends I was, pre- I would perform, which I thought was fun, but actually is still work. Um, you know, and I think that, So I'm going to bring it back to like, you know, queerness at Mm -hmm. the end and, um, and any experience of marginalization, like we don't necessarily, anybody who's experienced marginalization knows there's a lot of work to do and therefore it can sometimes feel like taking, like taking space is not enough. You know, I feel like I'm fighting, I'm fighting that in myself all the time. And I know you started, you know, you're talking about social work burnout earlier, but then there's, you know, there's the lived experience of being, of being somebody who like cares about social change, wants social change, knows you might be able to do it. However it is like through your being a direct service provider or like, if I just send this magical tweet, like this will be the tweet (laughs) or if I just have this role and it is, you know, two trans people making out like it's just. I, I guess I'm I'm trying to work on creating some space in myself, so that I'm just like, so that I could say, "Look, Cami, you did it, kid. You did it. Like you got you did you did the job for today. Like that was the job for today." So I hear that in what you're saying, and I think that's very wise. Um, before I send you back into your day to play Candy Crush or. <laughs> Um, do some activism I want to ask you to shout out a queero which is a person place or thing that made you feel like you can be who you are today
1: i say the the first person that pops into my mind right now um, and often um, because as we have been talking about doing pride like queer liberation wouldn't be possible without the, the work and the existence of Black, queer, and trans women would be Raquel Willis, who is um, incredible. Um, And she is like tirelessly just putting work into the world, into um, issue, into explaining things that shouldn't have to continuously be explained. Um, And I think she's just, she's incredible. So I would just say Raquel.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Mm -hmm. (sighs) Thanks so much for being here.
1: Thank you again for having me, this was great.